All right. Hopefully this time it works, right? We had a show uh, about oh, 45 minutes ago and it did not go well. Uh, technical difficulties, guys. There is um, a system update. My uh, system wanted to do an update and it wanted to just restart and the whole deal. So it was like a systematic automatic thing. I couldn't help it. And right when I went live, it started to like shut down my computer. So that's what was going on. So that's why it was a catastrophe. But uh, we're up and running now, and you guys should be able to hear me and see me um, clearly. If there's any issues, let me know. Also, we are uh, we are live on YouTube, Twitter, or X, and Facebook simultaneously. Uh, hopefully, there are no tech issues or glitches or anything like that. You guys are getting me nice and loud and clear. If there are any issues, let me know. We'll uh, we'll iron this thing out. But um, so yeah, my um, my baby daughter Josephine Natalia Montero, she is just over three weeks old now. She's about three and a half weeks old, and um, it's it's been a rough three weeks. <laughs> we had uh, my my wife and I had two uh, kids within a year, so you know they they say two under two is tough. We basically had two in one. So uh, it, it's it's been rough, and I have dad brain. Um, that really is a thing, by the way. New parent brain, newborn parent brain. It is a thing. I am just, woo, I am mentally just gone. But I'm going to try to get through this uh, episode because we have so much to catch up on. As soon as Josephine came into the world, a bunch of boxing news broke, right? And a bunch of crazy stuff has happened. A lot of some good stuff to talk about, too. Some Some fights coming together finally. So we'll talk about all that. We'll preview uh, the the fight coming up tomorrow in Las Vegas, the fight card coming up uh, on Showtime pay-per-view, and just cover all the news, right? And I got phones open if you guys want to jump on, but I'm not going to be able to get to the phones for at least 30 minutes as I go through my uh, my stuff here. Okay, guys. Uh, Andrew with uh, congratulations. He says, congratulations on your new arrival, Michael. Hope the family as well. Big up from London. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, brother. Yeah, um, yeah, we're good. We're good. We're just mommy and uh, and daddy are very, very tired right now. But um, Jackie, our oldest, who's a one-year-old, she's doing really good with it. She's actually been really good with the baby. She blows her kisses and, and tries to give her kisses and stuff like that. Uh, just very, very sweet with her. So everything is going good. It's just that first month or two, man. It's just brutal. The baby's eating every like two hours. And I'm trying to help as much as I can with the baby, but I can't do a whole lot. The baby wants mommy and I got to help with our one-year-old. So it's just been uh, insane. But my parents are going to be here tomorrow and they're going to help out. <laughs> Tiff's parents were here for a couple weeks and that was huge. That was a huge help. Anyway, all right, let's talk some boxing, guys. Let's um, let's jump right into this, man. I'm going to start with the WBC. Uh, I'm sure you guys saw this. Uh, Mauricio Suleiman is just declaring war on everybody. I don't know what's going on. He's if he sees himself in the WBC as like this uh, all present, all knowing, an omnipotent god of boxing. I don't know what's going on here, but uh, Mauricio Suleiman, let's start with the ring. He did some interview on a YouTube channel. I can't remember what the hell it was or where it was, but he basically said, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not going to give the exact quote, I don't feel like looking it up. You guys already know what I'm talking about anyway. He basically dissed the ring belt, the, the ring magazine belt. And he didn't diss the other belts, the other sanctioning organizations, or didn't even talk about them. He talked specifically about the ring, which isn't a sanctioning organization, by the way. And um, 
basically said like it weakens the other belts. It like compromises them. Um, and just stuff like that. It was just ridiculous. I don't know where the hell he got that from or why he, of, of all the, the people to call out the ring, you're not going to call out your competitors at the BA, the BO, the IBF, the IBO, like any of these other institutions, organizations, you're going to call out the ring. The thing with the ring is look, you guys, I know plenty of you have called into the show and you've had issues with some of the ratings, the pound for pound ratings and stuff with ring. I get it. It's, it's an imperfect process to have over there, but it, um, it's still the best process among all the ratings groups. I mean, there is no bias with what ring does. Now you can argue that, that the writers at ring and the people that vote for the, you know, for the, for the ratings over there, that, uh, maybe they prefer a certain style of fighter or whatever, but look, Golden Boy Promotions through their parent company owns the company that owns Ring Magazine, right? So, so they are essentially the owners of it. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya is the owner. Put it to you that way. Okay. Do you guys see any biased ratings for Golden Boy fighters in on the ring? Like I've never seen that. The only exception is when Canelo was with Golden Boy. He did get preferential treatment from the company. I've talked about this on my show before. I'm not going to go into details before, but there were people at the ring ratings committee who pushed back at the, at the expense, almost like causing them to get in trouble, possibly fired over it. Like it was a big deal, the arguing back and forth. So maybe Canelo got a little special treatment. Okay. Uh, and some bias in the ratings, but that came from the ownership. The people, the, the writers didn't agree with it. No one else has. I'll put it to you this way. If Ryan Garcia was a top-ranked fighter, he'd be rated on ESPN's pound-for-pound pound list. That's how ESPN does their ratings, okay? And PBC had their own site or podcast, I think, at one point. I, I, I don't think it's still around, but it was around for like a year or so. And they their ratings were ridiculous. Anybody that would, like, do commentary with them or whatever – there they'd have pound for pound. I remember like Mike Coppinger was working with PBC for a while and he had both Charlos on his pound for pound list before they had done anything, that kind of stuff, right? Like every organization is like that. Okay. So I'm, I'm really, really good with the ring and what they do. I don't agree with a lot of the ratings, just like you guys don't, but it's a very democratic process for Mauricio Suleiman to go after them. And the ring doesn't charge sanctioning fees. If anything, the belts that that ring makes for the fighters ring pays for title boxing makes those belts. So, so ring has a deal with title, but essentially it's the fans paying for it because the fans buy the magazine and that money, there's a portion of it that is allocated to, to buy the belts and stuff like that. So it, it really, it comes from the fans. You think about it that way, the ring magazine championship belt comes from the fans um, no sanctioning fees involved. And so I just thought that was hilarious coming from Suleiman with all the stunts, the WBC has pulled in recent times and the completely imbalanced biased way they do business from uh, one promoter to an another, you know, fighters with a certain promotion, get special treatment fighters of other promotions get shit on. We've seen countless examples of this. So for him to go after the ring, I just found that to be hilarious. Then 
and I don't know which one came first, but these this was both like within the same week. I think it was at their convention. The VC just had their convention in Uzbekistan, of all places. And they basically beefed with BoxRec. Did you guys see this? They they beefed with BoxRec because BoxRec doesn't recognize the Bridgerweight division. Hey, newsflash, Mauricio. No one does. There, there is not one publication around the world. It's not just the ring, but like uh, ESPN, Boxing News over in, in uh, England. There's no publication. And by the way, no other sanctioning group that recognizes the Bridgerweight division. None of the networks here in America have aired a Bridgerweight fight that I, that I can think of. Um, so, so no one recognizes it. But you're going to beat up on BoxRec? BoxRec is just they're a, a records keeping platform. Why are you going after them? Like, shouldn't you be calling out the other sanctioning groups or the media for not recognizing your division? It's it's ridiculous. It, it's just really really weird to go after BoxRec of all places. It's just so misguided. I I don't even know what to to say about it. It's it's just kind of funny, you know. I could. I can just only laugh at this point. As I always say, I like a lot of things that the BC does. There's plenty of things they do that I like, but in a, in a lot of ways, they truly are the best sanctioning body and all the other groups kind of follow their lead. You know, when it comes to many, many things, they have a global footprint. They do a lot of charity work. They take care of a lot of, of fighters, former fighters. They do some great stuff. Okay. They do. But then they do some really wacky stuff too, man. And I got to call it out. I got to be fair. If I'm going to give you praise when you do well, then I got to talk shit when you do something crazy. So that's where we're at with the WBC. Okay, let's talk about Andre Ward versus Dan Raphael. I'm going to um, share my screen. Uh, by the way, uh, happy Thanksgiving, guys. I saw a couple of you in the comment section were saying that. Um, I... <sighs> I hope you stuffed your face. I hope you had a great holiday. I'm kind of delirious because we didn't get to do the typical Thanksgiving thing. Next year will be better. Um, but, you know, for my vegan friends and say, you know, I hope you just had a good Thursday. But for everyone else, happy Thanksgiving. All right, let me share my screen. So Dan Raphael, it, the, the anniversary of, uh, let me back up, the anniversary of the first Kovalev Ward fight between Sergey Kovalev, Andre Ward, was a few days ago. I think it was last week, or maybe it was early this week. I, I It's all blurring together. But it was recently, it was within the last week, okay? And Dan Raphael tweeted, the original tweet was saying something to the effect of um, talking about Kovalev got robbed on this night. You know, today's the anniversary of Sergey Kovalev being robbed. And Andre Ward, quote, tweeted it, and said, and I'm going to read this for you guys on the audio so you can hear me. But he's, he, Andre, SOG, son of God, Ward, said, uh, you've been wrong about me, Floyd, Bernard, and many others. You have a certain type that you like, LOL. Your type, and he says type with parentheses, always gets beat when they face us. Deal with it. Have a good rest of your night, buddy. And of course, Andre afterwards um, deleted this tweet. Uh, it didn't last very long, but there was a screenshot and everyone was sharing this. And I, I got to talk about this. Um, I know, you know, look, some people were shocked and outraged and, oh my God, so offended. I'm, I'm not offended. I don't give a shit. 
but there's some hypocrisy here and there's definitely like some, some anger and like resentment in Andre Ward. And it, it's masked in this xenophobic and dare I say prejudiced energy. And maybe there's some of that there, but what I really think is going on with Andre Ward is he's extremely insecure. And I tweeted that I tweeted, um, Basically, I can't remember my exact statement, but I said, Andre Ward has been way too successful in life to be so damn insecure. And that's the truth. The man is horribly insecure. He has an inferiority complex. And what he's insecure about is the fact that he doesn't get mainstream love from a lot of fans and media. The writers don't talk about Andre Ward the way they talked about Gennady Golovkin when he was coming up. They didn't talk about him the way they talk about Canelo Alvarez now as being the top guy, the money man. They didn't talk about him the way they talk about Javante Davis, the way Tank Davis's fans talk about him, if we're being frank, if we're being honest. They didn't talk about Andre the way they talked about Pacquiao. And Andre, Andre Ward, he, he feels, I think, entitled to a certain extent because he's the last male American gold medalist in boxing. He was the legitimate champ in two weight classes, retired, undefeated. I don't give a fuck about that. I know most of you don't, but in the eyes of some fans, it's a big deal. First ballot hall of famer. And I admit I voted for him. I, I voted for Ward. I thought that year on the ballot, he, he deserved it. I, I try to take out the personality and, and all the stuff that I don't like and just look at accomplishments. And I thought he was worthy. He wasn't like my first one or two guys that I would pick, but he was in the top five. So he got my vote. Um, so I get it. He, he feels that he should be seen in this great light and everywhere he goes, he should be, you know, fans should be salivating to take a photo with him and stuff. And he just doesn't have that kind of energy. Um, he does get some love from like diehard fans and stuff. And he was hired by ESPN to do commentary. He's worked uh, tons of broadcasts. So he's been treated very, very well. I mean, again, first ballot hall of famer. It's not like he had to wait a few years or on the first ballot. And it was a loaded year. I think it was the year Floyd Mayweather and Vladimir Klitschko were on. If I remember correctly, that's a loaded year. You have two all-time greats right there. Floyd's an all-time great. Vladimir's an all-time great. And you got Andre Ward, who I wouldn't call an all-time great, but on a loaded year like that with two all-time greats, he gets on the ballot. So he has this, this aura, this energy that he like is mistreated and he's just not given the love he deserves. This is a guy who won fighter of the year, won all kinds of awards and accolades. And like I said, first ballot hall of famer, like, dude, and then you get a cushy TV job. And I, I don't, I think they, they canned him, but he was on broadcast for a while, uh, several years, I think with, with ESPN and top rank. So like, dude, what more do you want? You're treated pretty well, and you got a lot of preferential treatment as a fighter. But there's just this jealousy with this dude. And, you know, look, when I look at this statement, it doesn't make a lot of sense because Andre Ward basically up front, he says, you've been wrong about me. Okay, he's talking to Dan Raphael, and he's referring directly to a quote about Ward Kovalev. So he's basically saying, you were wrong, I won that fight. 
Okay. And you know, you, you thought I lost the fight. You're wrong. Right. So he's talking about, he's making a comparison. Ward is between him and a Russian fighter. Okay. And basically hinting that Raphael always votes for the Russian when he fights an American. But then he brings up Floyd. Floyd never fought any Russians. So this, this comparison, I don't understand. Floyd never fought any Eastern European fighters. He never did. He never fought Kostya Zoo or any of those kind of guys. Um, and I know Kostya Zoo's Australian, but he's he's half Russian. So so like he just he never fought any of those guys. Uh, the, and the only the, the closest, most controversial fight Floyd has was with a Mexican fighter, Jose Luis Castillo, right? In that first fight, a lot of people thought Castillo won. So now your comparison is between an American and a Russian and then an American and a Mexican. And then with Hopkins, which fight are you referring to there? Hopkins, when he fought Kovalev, that wasn't very close. <laughs> That's, that wasn't a controversial decision. Are you talking about when he fought Calzaghi? You know, some people thought Hopkins won, but the overwhelming majority thought that Calzaghi won in much the same way that Ward, quote unquote, beat Kovalev. Calzaghi got dropped early. He controlled the fight late. The only difference I would say is Calzaghi was close to stopping Hopkins at the end of that fight. And Hopkins was looking to referee Joe Cortez. I think it was Joe Cortez in the, um, he was the ref that night, but um, he was looking to him for a break. He was looking to him for help. Um, and he kept stopping the fight, you know, stopping the fight to get a breather because Calzaghi's work rate and athleticism was really bothering him. And I thought Calzaghi maybe could have got rid of him late. I'm not talking about like a knockout. I'm just talking about accumulation kind of stoppage because Hopkins was having a lot of issues. That wasn't, a, I mean, it was a close decision, but I think anybody who, you know, could reasonably, even if you thought Hopkins edged it or something, you could make an argument for Calzaghi. He controlled the entire second half of the fight um, and, and good chunks of the first half. So with Hopkins, what Eastern European fighter did he have a controversial... I, I think he had controversy. He had some close decisions with Jean Pascal, who's Canadian, who's a, a Haitian Canadian, and some close decisions with Jermaine Taylor twice, who's American. So what what the hell comparison are you making here, Andre Ward? You're all over the place. You're, you're comparing a Russian guy to a Mexican to a Welsh Italian to a a Haitian Canadian. Like wh where are you going with this? That's why a lot of people looked at this and saw a racial context to it. That's where I think a lot of people thought Andre was going with this because he put the word type in parentheses and he said, they get beat when they face us. Yeah, that's pretty racist. When you're using words like us and them, them and us, it's pretty divisive. And Ward, it was so funny because just a couple days before this, I actually tweeted a video of Andre Ward talking about his father, who is who was an Anglo-American, Caucasian-American, um, and talking about how his dad was his hero. And he's talked about that many, many times. And I, I tweeted something to the effect of, man, I think it's really cool that Andre Ward represents both sides of his heritage because a lot of people you know, of mixed heritage feel insecure about that, particularly in America right now. Um, if they're part black, part anything else, they feel they have to go with the, the black side. And, you know, I have family members 
um, who, who are of mixed ancestry, European and African. And I talked to them about that and they're adamant. They're like, nah, dude, I'm both. They proudly rep it. But they talk about, yeah, the, the, the media and everything wants me to pick a side. You know, that's always the thing. Um, so anyway, I just I tweeted something to the effect of, you know, man, it's really cool. Andre is, is proud of who he is. And I've heard Andre Ward in, in plenty of interviews say things like, man, I'm cool with everybody. I, I represent everybody. I'm cool with everybody. I'm not trying to take sides. Then he goes and tweets this. OK, and this isn't a tweet being taken out of context. This isn't a tweet from 10 years ago. This wasn't a shit post. This wasn't him joking around and trying to be shocking or, you know, bombastic or get clicks. This was him kind of just revealing who he really is. And this is a one little nugget in a link, okay, a chain of, of other events that I could point to um, of what he's done outside the ring, not honoring his word. Um, being extremely divisive and dangerous. Look, this kind of rhetoric, five years ago, this may have got Dan Raphael in a lot of trouble, okay? Cancel culture has died down. Sanity is starting to come back and, like, win back, um, especially on X because of the new ownership. Thank goodness for that uh, because there's actually real free speech on that platform right now. But... Um, this is like really dangerous, dude. This kind of rhetoric can end careers. It can ruin lives. It can ruin people's livelihood, their reputation. It is just so, I'm just going to use this word. I don't care if you think it's an exaggeration, guys. That's how I feel. It's evil. It is straight up evil to insinuate something like this, like Andre Ward is doing, knowing damn well that it's not true. He knows Dan Raphael ain't racist and he's not rooting against a certain group of fighters, ethnic group over another. I've followed Dan Raphael for 20 years now or something like that. He's not that kind of guy. He's got opinions. He prefers certain styles. He can, he definitely will shit post and talk some trash and rub some people the wrong way. All that good stuff. Fine. You could disagree with his takes. I've disagreed with plenty of them. But to throw that kind of accusation out there, that's dangerous, dude. There was just a kid beat to death, I think, in Las Vegas by 15 other kids. I think four of them actually got arrested. But it was a hate crime. There's stuff like that going on in America all over the place because of rhetoric like this. And I don't care if you think that's an exaggeration. This shit could lead to violence. Bad look, Andre Ward. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> all right. Let's talk about the IBF because we haven't had enough fun about the sanctioning bodies, right? So the IBF strips Terrence Crawford of his uh, welterweight title that he won July 29th. I believe that was the date, July 29th, that Bud blew up Errol Spence's hype, hype bubble, just shattered it and you know, rubbed his nuts in his face and blah, dunk you know, with nuts in the face. It was uh, just a beat down, right? That's when he gets the IBF belt. So it's what, a few months later, IBF strips him because Jerron Boots Ennis was the interim champion because he beat someone literally named Karen. That was the person's name, Karen, to get that interim belt. And they, it used to be 
that these sanctioning organizations gave you a year to fight your mandatory. So Terrence Crawford inherited that mandatory July 29th. So per their bylaws, I would think he would have until next summer, right? I, I mean, at least until next year, early next year. But no, they uh, they strip him. They elevate Boots. Boots is the latest email champion, another champion in our era who is awarded a championship for not fighting. And I understand he won an interim belt. I get that part. I'm not dumb. Okay. I get it. But the full title, he did not win in the ring. He didn't win it by fighting someone or beating someone. He was awarded it over email. That's crazy. I, I mean, think of, is there any other championship in the world, in any other sport where that happens? This is just another thing of, of this era that's just weakening it so much. And this is 100% political. The IBF allowed Errol Spence to go years without fighting a mandatory. I want to say the last mandatory fought was in 2018, 2019, something. It might've even been before that. Um, I can't remember the kid's name he fought, but he knocked him out in a round. I think it was one round, one or two rounds. And um, that was the last time he had a, because the IBF was the first belt he won. And he was allowed to just not fight a mandatory. They just, they, they had a plan. The PBC wanted to get Spence into these unification fights. And they worked with the IBF to get that done. And then you go up to 154. Jermel Charlo has had a mandatory. Uh, Bakram, um, I can't think of his last name. Bakram is a Russian fighter. I, I, I apologize. I forget the name. He's been a mandatory for, I want to say, three or four years as well. And he has had not one, not two, but three separate step-aside payments. And finally, the IBF is, I think, going to strip him now. And they're they're not going to elevate Bakram to the full championship. He has to fight a, a fight against for the vacant belt. He has to fight for the vacant belt. Um, and this didn't. He was just awarded the, the belt under emails. So, like, there's just so many inconsistencies. One guy gets stripped in just a few months, just inherited the mandatory, and he gets stripped in a few months. Another guy does three step-aside payments. At that point, it's like, why have a freaking mandatory if you're letting him sit in the shelf and collect multiple? I get one step-aside because there are all crazy circumstances that pop up. I get that, okay? I could be flexible, but three? Three step-aside payments? And then after all that, the Russian kid still has to fight for the vacant pelt? The other guy gets it through email? It's just... The inconsistency kills me. And here's the thing with, it's not just the IBF, it's the WBA, it's the WBC as well. I got to say of the, the four big ones, the WBO is the one that follows their rules the most consistently. Um, but they're all over the place. And I don't know what Al Heyman has on these people, but they seem to consistently, there are so many instances I can point to where they change their rules to protect PBC fighters. I mean, it just so many examples of this over and over and over. 
And I don't know if he's just paying them, just giving them money, or if he has pictures of them doing some lewd act or something. I don't know what he has, but whatever it is, it's working. I got to give him credit. All right, uh, let's move on. Some uh, some new signing news. Oshaki Foster signs with top rank. I like this signing. Look for Oshaki Foster's career to really start to blossom now because they're going to know what to do with him. They're going to position him well. And it sets up some interesting matches with some of their younger guys. So I um I like that signing with top rank. Top rank really is positioning themselves better than any other American promoter right now with all the young talent they have signed over the last few years. Remember, they got the entire American Olympic team from 2020. I think it was what, five guys. They got all five of them. So so they they're set up pretty, pretty well. Okay, let's talk about fights coming up. We got a big card. Next month, just two days before Christmas, December 23rd in Saudi Arabia. Heavyweights, um, plenty of heavyweights here, but the, the two big fights uh, with the big names are Anthony Joshua versus Otto Valin and Deontay Wilder versus Joseph Parker. Now, there are other fighters on this card. Hergovich is fighting on the card, Dimitri Bevel. It's a nice stacked card. And for 2023, this is about as stacked a card for because this will no doubt be pay-per-view. And it, I believe it's going to be DAZN pay-per-view. You guys can correct me if, if I'm wrong, uh, if they've announced that already. But I, to my knowledge, they have not announced the specifics yet. But the Saudis are throwing a boatload of money at these guys. And it, I, I do find a few things funny, I got to say. This was announced a month in advance, maybe five weeks in advance. I remember all these fighters that say, I need three months. I need four months of training. They're getting like five, six weeks for this card. Money talks. You throw enough money at these guys, they'll do a five or six week camp. Funny how that works, right? Um, I also found something really funny about this. Uh, it's a multi-promotion thing, right? But Matchroom is involved. Eddie Hearn's involved. And... um I just saw pictures of Deontay Wilder like hugging and smiling and laughing and joking, literally like sitting together, hugging uh, up on Eddie Hearn. This is a guy who we called a slave master at one point and, and compared his contracts to slave master uh, contracts and stuff like, and now he's buddy, buddy with him. Money talks, huh? Money just, yeah, uh, that was always an act with that guy anyway. Fraudulent. Um, but look, None of these fights on this card are fights that we asked for. None of them. The fight that we want is Joshua versus Wilder, right? And there are other guys on the card that we'd like to see fight each other. But, again, looking at all the events that we've had this year, the stuff that's been on pay-per-view, and I want you guys to think about this. Of all the pay-per-views we've had this year, we've had plenty, particularly one platform, how many of the main event main events in those pay-per-views turned out to be competitive. I can only think of one and it was um, top ranks pay-per-view between Lomachenko and Haney, which people are still arguing about that decision. They probably will be for years. That's how competitive it was. All the other pay-per-views were complete blowouts. Crawford Spence, uh, Tank versus Garcia, Canelo versus Charlo, right? We'll see what happens this weekend. We'll talk about that card in a little bit. And I, I th there's some stuff at the weigh-in that we'll talk about. 
and it relates to the WBC and the protection program and all that stuff. Okay. We'll talk about that, but I'm just thinking all these events have looked good on paper. They've featured names, but they ended up being complete blowouts except for one. When I look at a pay-per-view card, I want to see value. I want to see multiple good fights. And I want to see, when I say good fights, style matchup matters. The importance of the matchup matters. And then the competitiveness. Is this a 50-50 fight? Okay, cool. And in the case of uh, this card, I don't think we have any 50-50 fights, but we have such an abundance of fighters and talent that I think it's worth it. You guys want to see Josephine? Come here, Josie. Huh? Before she screams. Josie, say hi, baby. Say hi to everybody. She's got the cross eyes still. When they're really young, they kind of have, ah, they're, they're straightening out there. She's still trying to figure it all out, taking in the sights. Say hi, baby. Look at full head of hair. All right. You'd be good. She's a man. She's a screamer. This one, she, when she's hungry, oh my God, does she scream? She gets hangry, very hangry. She's a, she's definitely vocal. She's has no problem voicing her opinion. <laughs> I wonder who she gets that from. Okay. Um, uh, where was I? This card. Okay. I look to me, Joshua Valine's going to be competitive. I don't know how competitive Wilder versus Parker will be because part of me wonders if Parker is just shot. Three, four, five years ago, I may have favored Parker to beat Deontay Wilder just because of styles, because I think he'd be able to stand up to Wilder's right hand and he's just more fundamentally skilled. Um, I think in a lot of ways, he's a better athlete, the way he fights. Um, he's more balanced. He's stronger, all those things. but. That he took an absolute beating in that fight at the end of last year. He took an absolute beating from Joe Joyce. Just just beat him to a pulp and stopped him like violently, right? That type of beating. And then after the wars he's had with guys like Chisora and White, where he's taken punishment in those fights, he's won most of them. But Parker's been in there with pretty much everybody in the division. He's a guy who's you know willing to fight anybody. He's taken a lot of punishment. He's got FU money. He's also a guy who likes to party. He's good friends with Tyson Fury. I'll just leave it at that. He likes the white girl, the nose candy, all that good stuff. Joseph, he likes to party, okay? So all that's going to add up. And I just wonder, does he have enough to eat that right hand? for more than three, four rounds. I just don't know. I, that fight might actually be a blowout. And it might be perfect matchmaking at this time to make Wilder look great and whet the appetite for everybody for a Joshua Wilder fight because Joshua Valine's likely going the distance and that's going to be competitive. So Joshua's fight goes the distance. Wilder's fight's over in three rounds. That's going to get the Colt Woken back up, and that's going to help make that pay-per-view next year very, very marketable. So I do one last one last note about Wilder. I talked about him and Eddie Hearn, a guy that he, you know, said all these horrible things about over, over the years. Turned out a hundred million dollars to to fight Anthony Joshua, right? The Wilder fans still refuse to believe that happened, and they still think that Wilder's team really offered 
AJ $50 million. That was all nonsense. Um, anyway, I do find it interesting that Wilder rejected that offer of $100 million and his team, the Leonard Ellerbees of the world, the Steven Espinosa's, all those guys saying, we refuse to fight on an app. Wilder's not going over to the zone to fight Anthony Joshua. Joshua's got to come over here. Remember all that? Four years. Literally a month, what, a month, maybe two months after Showtime Boxing announces it's no more, Wilder goes to fucking fight on the zone. <laughs> a month later. It, it just, it, again, it goes to show you guys how full of shit these people are. A month after this platform announces they're done, Wilder's like, yeah, yeah I'm going to go fight in the app. <laughs> I'm going to go fight on the zone. And he's going to do multiple fights on the zone because if he wins and Joshua wins, they're going to fight each other early next year, right? So, so all of that talk for years was complete nonsense. These people are so full of shit. And that's why they get so mad with guys like me. They fucking hate me. Because I tell the truth about their nonsense. And in the end, I'm always vindicated. I'm always vindicated. I have to get slandered and attacked for years. But in the end, I'm vindicated. And here's another example. For years, when I told you guys that that a $50 million offer that Wilder and his team made to Joshua, that was fluff. It was nonsense. There was no substance to it. The $100 million offer was real. Wilder himself tweeted about it. Julius over at Ring IQ, he, he screenshots that tweet and posts it all the time to the, to the Colt because they still won't accept it. But Wilder even admitted publicly on his Twitter profile that he basically said, man, I, I took less money to fight Fury again for the second time. They offered me more money to fight Joshua over on zone. I turned it down to take less money to fight Fury. He admits it. And here we are, full circle. And now Wilder is going to fight on Dead Zone. Remember they called it Dead Zone? <sighs> Maybe they should have called it Show Dead or Dead Time. Certainly would have been more accurate. All right, let's look at some Super Chats before we carry on. Uh, Trent Nonparil, thank you so much. He says, Ergashev this weekend. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. So whatever I spend on pay-per-view, I'm also betting on Ergashev to try and get my money back. Nathan Heaney was 9-1 to underdog in one, if only. Damn, 9-1. Those are some nice odds if you win that. Appreciate the Super Chat, brother. We'll talk about Ergashev. That's the fight of the card. Ergashev versus uh, Subriel Matias. That's the fight for the diehard fans. Um, that's the fight, in my opinion, that's going to steal the show. And um, I think Ergashev is really going to announce himself in that matchup. Oh, we got another super chat from Mossbergs. Thank you so much. He says, Salute Montero. Can't wait for the Saudi heavyweight card. They making moves, and it's great for the sport. Hell yeah, brother. I'm going to talk about that um, in just a second here. They may be saving boxing. They literally might be saving boxing. I don't know how long this is going to last, but for right now, the getting is good, and uh, everyone's getting it. You know what I mean? So we'll see. And then a super chat, big super chat from 
Sabi MD, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. He says, happy Thanksgiving, Mike, and everyone. Just showing my appreciation and thanks that you still crank out content for us degenerates with the responsibilities and demands of your personal life. God bless, Mike. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Uh, just you're you're acknowledging that. Um, I really, really appreciate it, guys. It, it, yeah, I'm I'm running on fumes right now. I know I look like hell. I probably sound like hell. Um, but it was important to me to get on here and try to talk to you guys. I don't know when I'll be able to do it again, um, but I'll try to as soon as I can. But I at least wanted to get on before the big card um, this weekend. I don't know if it's a big card, but thank you so much, guys. All right, let's talk about all that stuff. Um, it, it, speaking of the Saudis, Usyk versus Fury, official for February. Going to happen over in Saudi Arabia. I guess it would be DAZN pay-per-view again. Dead zone. Um, look, I don't love all these pay-per-views, obviously, but this is for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. Now, is Alexander Usyk a pay-per-view name? Absolutely freaking not. Is Tyson Fury a pay-per-view name? Absolutely freaking not. But I do think this this card, it, it, that event's not going to sell well in the United States, that pay-per-view. But globally, it's going to do big numbers. And the fact that it is for the undisputed championship of the world, that's the first time it's happened in the four-belt era, I do think that um, it's obviously going to get some big attention. But it's going to Saudi Arabia for a reason because the Saudi Arabians right now are throwing money at fights that might be losing in the end. They're losing money. They're, they're not profitable, but they don't care. They're just trying to put on events. All right. They're, they're trying to do something over there. There's a, a movement an agenda and um, for them, it's worth it to spend money, even if they're not necessarily getting it back. So, um, I don't know if this is going to be a profitable show. I don't know about that. Quite frankly, I don't give a shit. I'm glad that the fight's happening. Now, real quick, my original, my, my early thoughts on this fight, and we'll be talking about it for months. I keep going back and forth. Fury's last fight looked like hell. We'll talk about that in just a minute too. Fury's fast, uh, last fight, he looked like hell. Usyk's last fight, he had a really difficult moment. Other than that, he looked pretty good. But he had a really difficult moment that he did ultimately overcome and win his fight. And Fury barely won his fight. Some people think Fury shot. They think that his lifestyle outside the ring and, and everything else, the, the punishment he's putting on his body has taken a, a, a toll. Um, oh, whoa. hang on real quick. Hamed, I just saw your comment. You said it's on ESPN, not the zone. Which one? Which which cards on ESPN not the zone? Is it the Fury uh Usyk? Let me know. Let me know, guys. I didn't know. Um, thank you for correcting me though. Um, but some people think Fury shot. Other people think that Fury just didn't take um Francis Aganu seriously and just he'll he'll look a lot better uh against Usyk. And then on the Usyk side, some people think Usyk is done. He's only been fighting once a year. He's had several injuries. He's had a lot of postponements he's had to deal with as a heavyweight. I think he's fought five times in five years. Most of that wasn't his fault, but some of it was. And um, the, the war thing and Ukraine, all of it. So is he the same guy? And he's been fighting naturally larger guys, and he's been taking some punishment. He took some shots 
in his fights against Anthony Joshua. He took a hard body shot or shot to the balls, depending on how you see it, from Danny Dubois. And every one of his heavyweight fights has taken some shots. So uh, there are people out there that think that um, he might be done. So I don't know. I keep going back and forth because from a pound-for-pound pound sense, Usyk is better than Fury at everything. He's better than Fury at everything, like literally everything, every last segment of boxing. But there's the size thing. And I know Usyk has overcome size disadvantages before. I get that, but not one like this. Tyson Fury is legit 6'7", 6'8". Usyk is 6'3". But more than that, Usyk at one point in the amateurs fought, I think as a middleweight, super middleweight, when he was young. He was juniors, but still. Fury's always been a freaking heavyweight. And Fury's got a spare tire, he's got a big gut, all that stuff. He's a massive human being. His head is huge. He's probably got the biggest head in boxing history. Maybe a Nikolai Valuev um, is a little bigger, but not much. So anyway, uh, Habed is, uh, he just said that um, Fury versus Usyk is what's on ESPN. So Earlier, I said Usyk versus Fury was on zone. I was wrong about that. It's on ESPN. So forgive me on that. Which actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, that makes total sense. Fury is represented by top rank here in America. No shit, Mike. Ah, dad brain. Sorry, guys. But thank you for correcting me, Hamed. So look, that fight, a lot of people, especially after Fury's last performance, they're like, man, Usyk's going to dominate. I don't know about that. Fury is still huge. He, he walks around at 280 pounds between fights. Usyk is a natural 200-pounder that has to bulk up to be in the 220s and fight in the 220s. He, he can't take it to the body. Uh, he's shown us that. I don't know if Fury's going to be able to get down there. He's so much taller. He'd have to really, really open up to get down there. But he could definitely stick a jab down there. I think he could do that and keep his distance. Um, but it's going to be interesting. But let me just say this, and then I'll move on. Here, this might be the X factor to this matchup. Fury is supposed to win. Fury should win. If Fury loses any more than three or four rounds in this fight, it's going to be a really bad look for him. It's going to look like how he had a really bad look against Nganu, right? Because he's supposed to dominate an MMA guy. He's supposed to dominate this tiny little dude. It's Fury who has been calling him a middleweight all these years, right? And calling him a midget and all this stuff and saying, oh, you're too small, you're too small. If he gets in there and has any difficulty, it's a bad look. And he knows that. And he also knows that he's following up a really bad performance where he embarrassed himself and, quite frankly, his entire sport and was lucky to get the decision. And the only reason he probably got it is because the Saudis put that card on and they wanted to put the Usyk fight on too. So, um, yeah, I'm going to play conspiracy theorist here. Um, the script fits, right? That, that's how you'd write the script if you're going to write it. So, anyway, um, he knows all this coming in. I think Usyk knows that too. Usyk knows that he's supposed to lose. He's the smaller fighter. A good big man beats a good smaller man, right? He knows that. I don't think there's any pressure on Usyk. He's supposed to get knocked out and destroyed in three or four rounds against a guy this much bigger than you. So all that pressure being on Fury, maybe that takes a toll. 
Maybe that affects the fight somehow. We shall see. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Oh, actually, real quick, Haman's got an interesting question. He says, Mike, do you think if Fury wins, that shows Valine is a top five heavyweight with a win over AJ? Well, if, if Aldo Valine beats Anthony Joshua, he's a top five heavyweight just from that. Um, but as far as, you know, Fury having trouble with him that one night, I mean, anything can happen on any given night. I thought Valine showed that he's a quality heavyweight in that matchup, but I haven't seen him against enough top guys to really assess where he fits. If he goes in there and puts up a really good performance against AJ, even if he loses, he proves himself as a top 10 guy in this division. If he beats AJ, he's a top five heavyweight for sure. And Fury would have a win over a top five guy. So that'd be impressive for him. Okay, let's talk about Fury versus Francis Ngannou on October 28th. Wow, it's almost been a month since that fight already. Uh, so look, I did a video right after this fight, and I talked about um, – just giving some initial thoughts. And I admitted on that video that I had not watched this fight. I hadn't watched one second of, well, I watched the knockdown. Other than that, I hadn't watched the fight. Well, I've watched it since. And I got to say, I owe Francis Ngannou an apology. I did not give him enough credit. Okay. So, so I want to just admit that right now. I did not give him enough credit. That doesn't mean Tyson Fury looked good. It doesn't mean I think Francis Ngannou is a top 10 heavyweight, which reminds me, going all the way back to the beginning of the show with the WBC, they rated Francis Ngannou top 10 heavyweight off of one fight that he technically lost. So a guy who is 0-1 is in the top 10 of their heavyweight ratings. Has this ever happened in the history of boxing? How about just in the history of the WBC? I can't think of a single time where an 0-1 fighter was ranked in their top 10 of any division. But they're mad at box rec and they're mad at the ring. I mean, dude, you can't write this shit. Anyway, here's what impressed me with Francis Ngannou. It wasn't that he landed punches on Fury. An orangutan could land punches on Fury. He's sloppy. He always has been. A bunch of guys have landed punches on him that shouldn't have. Tom Schwartz landed punches on Tyson Fury, okay? It's not that. What impressed me with Francis Ngannou was his feet. Of all these MMA guys that, quite frankly, I think have a certain amount of arrogance to them, that they could just waltz over into the boxing ring and compete with the best in the world without really focusing on the craft of boxing. A lot of these guys will work with a celebrity trainer, a Freddie Roach or somebody like that for a few months, do some mitt work, do some light footwork and think, oh, I got this shit. Okay, yeah, boxing's easy. And then they go in and get their ass whooped. Francis Ngannou actually studied the craft because if you study the craft of boxing, you understand that footwork is the foundation to the sport. It's not hands. The people that think it's all about hands are the casuals and just guys who don't know what the what they're doing. And Ganu focused on the feet. He it's not that his feet move like Willie Pep or or you know <laughs> or Sweet Pea or someone. No, I'm not saying that. Okay, just hear me out, guys. He made these subtle 
And these are very lumbering guys, not very light in his feet. You know, I, I get it. I get it. Hear me out. He made subtle little movements with his feet, small movements, not these big leaps and jumps, right? Just little movements to have himself in position to, first of all, get inside of Fury's range. Because again, they studied the craft and they knew that if I take a punch from Fury at the end of the punch, that's going to hurt. But if I bunch up his punches by getting just a little bit closer, it's not going to have the steam. Remember when Fury threw a, a freaking forearm, literally just boom, elbowed him, forearm, right into Aganu's head and he walked right through it. It's because the range was cut short. There was nothing on that forearm. There was nothing on it. Now, if he was a foot away, just a foot, foot and a half back from where he was when that forearm landed, it would have knocked him out. Yes, I'm saying that on the record. It would have knocked him out. But because he was where he was and moving forward at the same time, he nullified the impact. That is studying craft. That is studying and not just, oh, let me go hit some mitts and work the heavy bag and call myself a boxer. No, he studied like, let me put my feet here so that when Fury throws his little bitchy, flabby combinations, I can throw a left hook. Now, Nganu's left hook wasn't very fundamental. He was wide open when he threw it. His stance was open. He didn't have a narrow stance, right? He didn't turn over. He didn't turn into it. It was an arm punch. But Fury was so off balance. What is it? The third round, I think, where Nganu put him down. He was so off balance. And Nganu was perfectly balanced. And he's a massive man. He's 270 pounds with no fat. He's way stronger than Tyson Fury. So it was the first time Tyson Fury fought somebody who was physically stronger than him, just naturally stronger than him. And all Nganu had to do was kind of be in mid-range and just touch him, just slap him. That's all he did with that left hook. It's not like he turned over, turned his foot, put his hip into it. You got, he didn't even put his back into it. He just went, Ugh. he was facing him straight on. He wasn't even angled, right? He was facing him straight on, just, uh, just slapped him with the left hand, and Fury goes crumbling down. That's all it took. When you're 270 pounds of rock-solid muscle and you have somebody fighting really fundamentally flawed and they're way off balance, their head's way past their knees and feet, that's all it takes. So that's what impressed me about Nganu. He's the first MMA fighter to come over into one of these crossover fights in boxing and actually study boxing. And it worked for him. Because quite frankly, he has the humility to do that. He didn't come in arrogant like so many of these other guys have done. Props to him, man. He made a fan out of me. Now, do I think he's a top 10 heavyweight? No. Do I think if they have a rematch, Fury whoops his ass? Yes. I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. What I saw was Fury not taking this guy very seriously, okay? But props to Nganu. Um, and look, if he boxes again, I'll definitely be watching that time. I'll definitely be watching. All right, um, there was one other card of note. There was a couple of cards. I saw you guys talking about Zoo and all that stuff. I want to talk about one other card before we get to the preview, okay? So, um, yeah, it's been a few weeks. I'm just going to highlight a couple things. 
November 16th. This was last Thursday. In Las Vegas, top rank had a card with Shakur Stevenson fighting Edwin De Los Santos for a vacant 135 belt. Now, I have to talk about this for a couple reasons. First, Shakur Stevenson completely stunk out the joint. Just stunk out the joint. Awful fight. So it was a complete failure on his part. He won a belt, but once again, it was a vacant belt. Devin Haney was the legitimate undisputed champion at lightweight. You can argue Lomachenko should be the undisputed lightweight champion right now. If you thought he beat Haney, all fair, you know, if that's how you feel, uh, many people do, but this was a vacant belt. He wasn't fighting the main man for this belt. It was just another vacant. And I think a couple of the belts he's won have been vacant. I want to say his belt at 126 was vacant. Or was it 130? No, it was 126. Because at 130, I think he fought Jamel Herring. So um, two of his three belts have been vacant. He hasn't fought the main man. I, I thought that Shakur Stevenson had a good run at 130. You know, he, he unified belts. He beat Herring. He beat Oscar Valdez. He beat Kao. So he had a really good run at 130. I respect it. But his run at 126 and 135, Samar, are fucking fluff. If I'm going to call out guys on the PBC and other promotions for having those sorts of careers, I got I got to keep it 100, right? I got to keep it across the board. And Shakur Stevenson is being marketed now because I saw ESPN the next day market him as a three-division champion, Shakur Stevenson. And that just shows you how watered down this era is. If you want to call him a champion at 130, again, he unified belts. He fought a few really good fighters. Okay, cool. But he was a title holder at 126 and a title holder now at 135. As I always say on this show, there is a major difference between a title holder and a world champion. You don't have to be undisputed to be considered a champion in my eyes. But if you unify a couple belts, if you fight the top dogs, a few of the top dogs, okay, you're a legit champion, right? And you, you don't have to be undisputed because that's all political. But at 126 and 135, Shakur wasn't the freaking champion. He had a belt. Let's not get it twisted. And sticking with ESPN and now top rank. Guys, I like the idea of a Thursday night show. And they only did this because there was like an auto race that weekend. So they couldn't do the fight on a Saturday. So they had to do it on Thursday. But I like the idea of Thursday night boxing. Thursday night in the winter, especially, there's nothing going on. Football is month. You got Monday night football. Sometimes you get Thursday night football, right? But nobody really watches those games. You have great opportunities on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, even Friday, to put on cards that people might watch. This was cool having a Thursday night card, but it started after midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight, right? Remember the remember Gremlins. Some of you guys are too young. Don't feed them after midnight. Yeah, don't have main events after midnight especially if it's a weeknight. People have to get up and go to work the next day. It defeats the purpose of weeknight boxing. If you're going to have boxing on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the main event should be at 8, maybe 9 o'clock. That's when the main event should take place. Prime time. That's what you do. That's what makes sense. Even if you have to go to ESPN2 or go to ESPN+, Plus and not have it on the network. Because I know, um, you know, Bob Arum and the top ranked are serious about, sometimes they want some cards on the actual network. I get that. I'd rather have it on the plus at 8 p.m. 
and have it on the network starting at 1230. I think most of you on the East Coast would agree with me. If you're trying to improve this kid's marketability, that wasn't a good way of doing it. Now, speaking of marketability, Stevenson, after stinking out the joint, I I should mention, I'm not going to give the exact punch stats, but these guys, Stevenson and De Los Santos, by the way, it takes two to tango. It's just as much De Los Santos' fault. But Shakur's the main man. He's getting paid $3 million for this fight. He's a three-time world champion, right? Dude, it falls on you. I'm sorry. It falls on you more than the other guy. The other guy was your opponent. That's the truth here. Heavy wears the crown, my friend. Heavy wears the crown. Shakur Stevenson stinks out the joint. Him and De Los Santos set a record for the fewest amount of punches landed. And I think the fewest amount of power punches landed in a 12-round fight studied by uh, followed by CompuBox. For perspective, I tweeted about this. The fight between Tyson Fury and Vladimir Klitschko, which was just shredded on social media, right? Every single writer ripped it apart. Every podcast ripped it apart. Everybody on Twitter and social media ripped that apart. Every forum, chat room ripped that fight apart. Both Fury and Vladimir in that fight threw and landed more punches than these two. And they're heavyweights, super heavyweights. These guys are lightweights. Lightweights are supposed to throw more punches than middleweights. Middleweights are supposed to throw more than light heavyweights. Light heavyweights are supposed to throw more than heavyweights. You see where I'm going with this? So that horrible, horrible heavyweight championship fight between Fury and and Klitschko, that had more action, more punches thrown and landed between big men, literally twice the size as these guys. Just to put it into perspective, And what does Shakur Stevenson do the following day? I'm not even going to share his tweet. You guys, I'm sure, saw it. He gets out there and says, basically, hey, if you don't like it, kiss my ass, don't watch. I'm still the champ. That's basically what he said. And I'm thinking, yeah, champ, that's not the best way to market yourself. First of all, you're fighting Thursday at like 1 in the morning, and you're putting people to sleep against a guy that you're, what were the odds for that fight? That had to be at least four to one, five to one. And there's a beauty to Shakur Stevenson not getting hit. But when you're literally turning around and running away, which he did multiple times, turned his back and ran away. That's not the same thing as standing in the pocket and making a guy miss. There was a heavyweight, uh, the last generation, Chris Bird, American fighter. I think a lot of you younger guys should look him up and watch some of his highlights. Chris Bird was undersized for a heavyweight, but he had a lot of success against much bigger guys. He would stand right there in the pocket and move his head. He had exceptional hand movement and very good hand speed. Best hand speed in the division in that era. Uh, Underrated, I I feel. Just overall as a fighter, he was underrated, underappreciated. But he would stand in the pocket and slip punches and make these big guys look foolish. That's different than what Shakur Stevenson did, okay? So the ESPN commentators slobbing him over, oh, he doesn't get hit. He gets hit less than any other champion in the sport. I keep using that word champion. Yeah, I got you. Kid turns his back and runs away from a fighter that he's picked to dominate, right? Um, that's supposed to be like a showcase for your guy to like market him 
not only did you put it on too late, but he stunk the joint out. And then he doubles down the next day and says, all of you kiss my ass. If you don't want to watch, don't watch. Someone needs to talk to that kid. And I don't want to sound like the get off my lawn guy, but there just seems to be a general sense of smug entitlement among young American fighters these days where they think they just are supposed to inherit love and admiration from fans. And there's a style of fighting that some of these guys have that is just not the most entertaining style. And when you're marketing yourself as a killer and a gangster, which Shakur tries to do, right? If you, if you just look at his social media and the stuff he says, the things he says about himself, the way he represents himself, he tries to represent himself as this killer, this thug. And then he gets in the ring and does that. If I was Shakur, I'd be marketing myself as a defensive specialist. And I'd be saying things like, you know what? You ain't going to land one glove on me. You can't land a punch on me. You ain't going to... I'm going to be right there at the final bell. You ain't going to knock me down, knock me out, no matter how hard you try. We're going to be right here in this this uh, this square, and you're going to throw everything you got at me, and you ain't going to hit me once. That's the way I'd market myself because that's how he fights. I wouldn't market myself as a killer and then go in there and do that. That's called false advertising. And then afterwards, when you bitch at the fans for being pissed off at your false advertising, yeah, that's not exactly helping your brand. I don't think top rank's going to resign the kid. I, I don't know. I don't know. It depends, but it's going to be hard for him to get eyes. And it all goes back to the beginning of the show when I talked about Andre Ward. And he brought up guys like Bernard Hopkins, Floyd Mayweather. Okay, there's just that style of fighting. Again, it's not the most entertaining style, particularly with Wards, because Ward didn't even do what like Floyd did. What Ward did was just ugly. It was ugly to watch. A lot of his fights were just ugly. And I get it. He just won, baby. I get it. But you know what? You can't expect to be seen the way Chavez is seen or something. Like, you're not going to be seen that way, dude. You're not going to be seen that way when you fight like that. Same thing with Stevenson. All right. Let's, uh, let me see. Did I miss? I don't think I missed anything in the comments. Okay. Uh, let's talk about this fight card this weekend real quick. All right. And then maybe I'll take a couple very quick phone calls, but I can't stay on much longer. Uh, okay. This uh, Saturday, November 25th in Las Vegas, Showtime pay-per-view, David Benavidez versus Demetrius Andrade. Jermall Charlo versus Jose Benavidez in a super middleweight fight. And Subriel Matias versus Shojahan Ergashev. Okay. Real quick. Main event. I keep going back and forth on this. I can see part of me thinks Benavidez just mows Andre down because Andre has done nothing in his career to prepare him for this fight. At least Benavidez fought Caleb Plant, who is at least on par with Andre as far as talent and, and skill level. Actually, Plant might be more skilled. Um, Andre might have a little more... <sighs> What's the word? Intangibles uh, to him. But Plant is probably more fundamental. Um, Andre might hit harder than Plant, though. So that, that counts for something. Anyway, um, I could see Benavidez just mowing this guy down and exposing the fraud that Andre has been for his entire career. Then again, Benavidez is kind of a fraud, too. 
So like at least so far, because he just hasn't fought the top guys and I haven't seen enough from him to know that he's legit. So he's a legit top five guy in that division. He's a top challenger. I get all that. Is he elite though? I don't know. Andre might get in there and just be tricky and weird and awkward enough to give Benavidez fits. I can see that happening too. And I can also see a situation where Benavidez and his people are overlooking Andre because PBC really needs that Benavidez Canelo fight. They need that Mexican money. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm just going to keep it real. They know it. You know it. We all know it. They want that fight. So I don't know if Canelo wants it, but if they throw enough money at him, Canelo will take the fight. They all whore out for the money in the end. So Benavidez gets it if it's close on the cards. That's that's firmly established. But can Andre really give him a lot of problems with his tricky, kind of funky style? You know, he's been training at Snack. Victor Conti's going to have him in shape, strong, ready to go a full 12. Is Andre ready to go a full hard 12? I'm sorry, is Benavidez ready to go a full hard 12? I don't know. They weighed in, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, but Andre came in a little heavier. He was 167.7. Benavidez was 167. Did Benavidez overtrain? He's a big boy. Get down to 167? So it's an interesting fight. Now, is it pay-per-view worthy? Absolutely not. And if you're Showtime boxing and you're leaving the sport, to go out on a pay-per-view after your last few cards were pay-per-views, pathetic. This would be awesome if this was on regular Showtime. This would be a nice send-off because it's a decent card. Put this shit on pay-per-view, 100,000 people are going to buy it. Maybe, maybe 200 or so because the Mexicans are going to buy this. All right, but yeah, dude, I, I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about Jermall Charlo, Jose Benavidez. Look, um, I, I, this is another one where I could see it going two ways. I mean, on paper, Charlo should absolutely smash this kid, should absolutely smash him and own, just own him. Then again, he hasn't fought in like 4,000 years, and Benavidez has been more active, so maybe he can pull the upset. Maybe he could catch Charlo cold early on, put him down. Charlo's mentally all over the place right now, in a pretty bad place, emotionally, apparently. So um, maybe we could see an upset here. But on paper, Charlo's supposed to dominate this fight. Uh, this was supposed to be 163 pounds. So Charlo came in overweight. We'll talk about that. But real quick, back to the WBC protecting certain fighters. This week when Suleiman you know, goes to war with the ring, it goes to war with BoxRec, but puts Nganu in his top 10 heavyweights. And then allows Charlo, who has not defended his middleweight belt in two and a half years. I'm not even talking about mandatories. He hasn't fought, has not defended that belt at all, even against a voluntary defense in over two years. And you're going to allow him to fight a non-title fight in a different division, and you're still not going to strip him. Carlos Adamas has your interim belt, and he's had it for a while, and he's been calling out Charlo. God bless him. He's trying to get the fight. And you're punishing this man. You're protecting Charlo. So, so there's that, okay? It's more WBC hypocrisy and protection of an Al Heyman fighter. 
I don't know what Heyman has on the BC, but man, he's got something on Suleiman. Something bad. Anyway, Charlo comes in over 166 pounds. So once again, the entitlement. You're allowed to just hold on to a belt. Then you can go fight at 163. You're used to making 160. You don't even come in close to 163. You come in at 166 plus. I believe his opponent, Benavides, did make weight. So your opponent suffered to, to cut weight. He made the sacrifice. You didn't. I, maybe there's some gamesmanship there. Maybe that's to keep himself strong because he doesn't want to be upset and he wants to use that natural strength to win the fight. But the WBC still is going to allow him to hold on to the middleweight belt even after this. So not only is he being allowed to fight in a different division, non-title fight, but then he comes in overweight. He doesn't even make the contracted weight. And nothing will come of this. Dude. Uh, I just, there's, it's just not happening with other guys in the sport right now. There's just a clear track record here with the BC. And the BA too. And now the IBF is joining in. All right. Let's talk about the fight of the card, in my opinion. Subrio Matias versus Shojahan Ergashev. I like this matchup. If there's a 50-50 fight on the card, this is it. I'm talking on paper. Because once again, on paper, Benavidez should steamroll Andre. On paper, Charlos should steamroll Benavidez. But this fight, on paper, looks really, really good. And when you look at these two styles, obviously one guy is going to come forward, throw power. The other guy's going to box. Um, I, I really like it. If you're going to watch any fight on this card, this is it. I think a lot of people think that Matthias will win just because he's a stronger, harder-hitting guy. I think Ergashev is going to have a great showing and announce himself here. This will be a launching pad for him. Too bad no one's going to see it. <clears throat> okay. Let's uh, let's jump to a call real quick. And um, we'll see. I got to go in a few minutes, guys. But let me, let me take a quick call. Let's see. Okay, uh, 228, you're on the line. What's up? 228, can you hear me? No? All right. Oh, you know what? Calls, phones dropped. Hang on one second. Let me um, stay on the line, guys. <sighs> this freaking thing. Bad technology. Ooh-wee. I'm having, I'm just having a rough one. Thank you for calling. All right. I'm going to get this set up. Enter your six-digit Welcome, host. You are now in the... Your callers from the right. studio web interface. How about that? All right, now let's go to um, 228. You should be on the show now. Can hey, you hear hi. me? Yep, I got you. Congratulations on the new daughter. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, just a couple of quick comments. I think at this point we just have to say that Shakur is afraid to get hit. Yeah. Um, I think the Bird reference was awesome. Uh, I think people need to go back and watch Bird versus David Tua. Yeah. Uh, which was a, a fight that like shocked a lot of people at the time, and and Bird was just right in there. Yeah, he slipped shots. He, but that's a big man against a little man. <laughs> 
People yeah, he, and he made him look foolish at kick. times. He's, he'd stand right there and slip shots. And I think he fought Jamil McCline once and did the same thing. Um, really underrated yeah, fighter. Yeah, he man. hurt him. He hurt McCline. You're right. You're right. Yep. I yeah. remember that. Um, I, w- I want to ask about your thoughts on, uh, you know, we talked, you talked briefly about Parker and Wilder. My thought is if, if Joe Joyce at, at his robotic pace, can land shots on Parker. Certainly, Deontay Wilder will. Yeah, I think that's a uh, great point. And those, uh, yeah, and I, you know, no one's going to confuse Wilder with Floyd Mayweather technically, but I would put him ahead of Joe Joyce. And yeah. I just, yeah. I just don't think, you know, over the course of twelve rounds, uh, he's not going to land that shot. And you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I think uh, Parker. I love Joe Parker. That that's a guy, like you said, never ducked anybody, but uh I think he's a little bit past it. And uh I just don't see Wilder not finding him at some point. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Wilder's gonna find him pretty early. Um I just Yeah. I, I don't think they would have taken the fight unless they saw something, heard something that they liked and thought that it would work. Um so yeah. I, I agree with you. I think I think it's going to actually be a good showing for Wilder. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a good name, former world champion, and then you know, one thing I I want to talk about real quick. I know there are other callers, but Joshua Walleen, Um This to me is just so indicative that there's big Saudi money here because I don't really see Eddie Hearn ever wanting to put Wilder in the ring with a southpaw again especially someone who can hit a little bit like Baleen can. Uh, it's it's a little bit – this is a real fight. I, it's not the fight we wanted, but it, it's, a, it's a legitimate fight. And to me, it seems like they're trying to sell this as, well, this is so he can fight Hergovic, you know, for maybe the IBF, whatever, vacant interim, whatever you want to call it when it happens. But uh, – they they could have made that fight anyway, right? Like, uh, or Joshua could fight Hergovic for that without fighting Bolin. Of course, the IBF would sanction that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know. I'm I, uh, you know, I know Joshua is a cash cow still, but he's in he's in heavy here, and uh, I think a win looks good if he does beat Bolin. But I don't know about putting him in with a southpaw at this point, especially after the. You know, Charles Martin was a southpaw, but we don't really count that one. Uh, and after the two Usyk fights, and if he can hit Fury, he can hit Joshua. So that's really all I have, man. Really good. Uh, love your show, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. Good stuff, man. Definitely call back. Have a good one. We'll do. We'll do. Dude. All right, Corey Lee Boxing. Thank you so much for checking in, brother. He says, "Awesome channel. Keep it going." Happy holidays. Same to you, brother. Thanks again. Um, a great points from that caller. Um, you know, you got to think if Joe Joyce can catch Parker over and over and over. and over, I mean, he landed over and over. You got to think Wilder can land the right hand, right? You, you just have to think that. And I don't know if Parker at this point is enough in his career to keep Wilder off of him. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick Wilder by uh knockout in that fight. I, Joshua Valine, I could see going the distance. I really can. All right, let's take like two more quick calls, guys. Let's uh Nacho, what's up, man? How you doing? 
say, Mike, uh, happy holidays uh, and uh, congrats on your daughter. I'm sure she's keeping you up at night. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 24-7. Um, yeah, just really quick. Um, let me give you the other viewpoint um, as to why I think Parker would be favored to win that fight. You got to remember, Wilder has only fought once in the last two years, yeah. and he fought less than three minutes, Mike. And on top of that, he's 38 years old. He's pretty long in the tooth. And I know you guys have been talking about the beating that uh, Parker took against Joyce, and that's warranted. But then we also really don't know what long-term effects Wilder has suffered from the two beatings he took from Tyson Fury in the second and third fight. We still don't know what he really has left. I think a lot of people are fooled by the mirage of the hilarious KO, and they think that he's back. And to be honest, I think he's not all the way back. And I think this fight is going to be a legitimate We're going to get a legit idea of what Wilder really has left. And I think it's going to take him a while to knock that rust off from the two-year layoff, Mike. I don't think he knocks him out in any way, shape, or form. I think Parker might legitimately, um, you know, um, stay outside, box him for a little bit. And then as the fight wears on, I think he's going to start to get more and more aggressive and start to attack Wilder and smother him on the inside. And I think he's going to follow Tyson Fury's game plan. And I'm just curious to see what Wilder really has left, to be honest with you. I I don't think he has much, but that's just my opinion. So that's why I'm favoring Parker to come out and win this fight. Um, The uh, other stuff you were talking about, Mike, um, of course, Ergashev, Matias is the the fight for sure on that undercard uh, tomorrow night. I think that's going to be probably the fight of the night. You could steal the spotlight from everyone else. And I expect to, um, you know, see a, a back and forth battle between both uh, guys. Um, I wanted just to bring up something really quick about uh, Ergashev, Mike. Um, Ring IQ was saying on his channel last night that he saw somewhere about Ergashev said something along the lines of win or lose tomorrow night. He was going to call it a career. Have you heard anything about that? No. In fact, he just uh, – there's an announcement coming with him soon with, like, who he's going to be teaming up with. Um, I can't really talk about it, but, yeah, there's there's some news coming with Ergashev soon that I've heard from my guys up north. So, um, I, yeah, I haven't heard anything like that. That's crazy. He might just be saying something to get into yeah. his head. I don't know. Oh, okay. That's kind of what I was wondering. I'm like, why would you say something like that going into a fight? That doesn't make any sense. Mm. I've never heard a guy going into a title fight saying, win or lose, I'm walking away. Like, that usually doesn't happen. So I'm just wondering if it's not a ploy to kind of let Matias think that he's not focused on the fight and maybe he takes him, you know, um, he doesn't take him seriously. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. Hopefully... The fight lives up to the hype tomorrow night. Um, And then uh, the uh, main event of that fight, Mike, I expect Benavides to win that fight. I think Andre is going to give him trouble for the first, I would say, five to six rounds of that fight. I think he's going to give him enough angles and enough movement that he's going to give Benavides trouble. But as the fight wears along and Benavides starts to slowly but surely land his shots on him, 
I think he's going to start to wear out um, Andre, and then eventually Andre won't be able to move and 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 stick and move all night. And I think he's going to have to be forced to bite down and fight. And there hasn't been too many times in his career he's had to do that. And so I think this is the one time that he's going to have to end up doing it, and he's going to probably end up, you know, getting taken out late. I could see Benavidez taking him out in probably the 10th or the 11th round um, of that fight. Um, the only thing I'm concerned about, Mike, like you just announced what they weighed in at. I know Benavidez weighed in at 67, but by the time the fight starts tomorrow night, he's going to be 190 oh, easy yeah. Oh, yeah. when he walks into the ring. Yeah. yeah. So he's going to have at least a 15-pound advantage over uh, Andre. And that's going to make the difference for sure in that fight. He's just going to be huge um, going into that fight tomorrow night. So that's why I think his size and his strength is eventually going to get to uh, to Andre to, um, as the fight goes along. Um, and then uh, you were talking about the uh, just the, oh Stevenson, Mike. That was the absolute most putrid performance <laughs> I've ever seen a guy take on in a main event. Like you brought up Fury. Klitschko and I watched that fight and I was completely bored to death in that fight but I don't even know if I can say that this fight didn't surpass the uh, actual it, yeah. boredom of that fight like that fight was just as awful as the Fury Klitschko um, it, it, I honestly think De Los Santos got screwed in that fight Mike I feel like De Los Santos put on a way better performance than he's being given credit for by a lot of fans and and media, and I just think that uh, a lot of people, for some weird reason, they just assume that Shakur Stevenson's going to be, like, the next American star. But like you said, Mike, if you start putting up performances like that and you fight guys that legitimately you should be beating and you're literally getting, uh, you know, a close decision of victories like that, then I'm sorry, no one's going to pay to watch you. And for damn sure, top ranks not going to pay you the money that you've been getting lately uh, from that contract. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't have some sort of, uh, you know, negotiation where that kid's going to have to eventually take a pay cut because of the fact that top rank is not going to keep paying him that kind of money for stinkers, uh, you know, like that moving forward. If the kid wants big money, He's going to have to fight big names and in high-stakes fights. He's not going to get any layups or tune-ups for that kind of money, I think, moving forward. Um, and then lastly, um, I just wanted to talk about um, the little comment Ward made, Mike. I think you've, you've said it all along, and other people have said it all along. Ward has always had this phony persona of like being this ultra-nice guy who, who like people should be cheering for and, and people should be fans of. But honestly, I think in the last few years, we've kind of seen who he really is. Mm -hmm. The guy is really a jerk who legitimately um, comes across as an asshole <laughs> when he when he does and, and says certain things. And that comment he made about uh, Dan Raphael, uh, you know, the, the whole quote-unquote type, I just feel like that was just a, 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 a subliminal shot at Raphael trying to say that, you know, he, he's... Uh, racist against black fighters and I think that couldn't be further from the truth because right. in all the years I've seen him write about black American fighters he's never once disparaged or 
said anything that people could contextualize as racist. So for Andre Ward to go out and, and try to like just implicate that or imply that, I mean, about Dan Raphael, that that's completely, um, you know, that's complete garbage. And it just shows you what kind of a person Andre Ward really is. Right. Um, for, like you said, for a guy who's been as successful as he is, for him to be so um, petty and jealous about the way he's viewed as a uh, as a fighter, it, it's just comical. The guy is so insecure and and petty that it's not even funny. So, all right, Mike. Well, I hope you uh, you know you have a great rest of your uh, time uh, with your daughter and. Hopefully, at some point, you do get back on. <laughs> I will. I so, promise. Yeah. You, yeah. Hey, great call, Nacho. Yeah, no problem. All, All right, brother. Thanks. All right. Great stuff, man. Uh, so a lot of great points there. I'm going to take one more quick call from Thad, and then we're going to we're going to jump off, guys, because um, my wife's going to kill me. <laughs> I told her one hour. It's been an hour and a half. So, okay, Thad's got to be quick. Dad, what's up, man? You got to keep it quick, brother. I'm sorry hey. to rush you. Will do. Yeah, blame blame me, Mike, when you guys, if you're ever yeah. up for divorce, be like, yeah, it's Dad's fault. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But hey, listen, so much information here on your show. That's that's why we need you, Mike. Um, this weekend, actually, I placed this bet uh, two months ago. And the last three legs, it's a $100 bet for thirty a, a $3,000 winner, roughly. I have three fights left. Chantel Cameron winning straight up. Benavidez winning straight up. That's a given. But I have Matthias, Matthias to win straight up. And that, that one worries me a bit. But actually, the Kay Taylor decision um, that is a robbery worries me too. So I can't, I can't um, you know, buy it back or anything like that because it's a paper uh, bet. It's, on, it's in a casino. Okay. One of those fights is going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to, uh, your audience, hopefully they can reply and say which one it's going to be, but I know one of them is going to lose. And I probably think it's Katie Taylor that she's going to win by decision and it's screwing. Uh, but anyway, Mike, but, but that's why we need you. Um, Joe Parker beats Deontay Wilder. I'm so giddy. I ran I actually broke the machine betting the fights this, uh, the next couple months. They had to replace the paper. Um, Joe Parker, He's been active. He's younger. He's better feet. And when you say Joe Joyce landed punches, that's because Joe Joyce was better in position. He had a higher ring IQ to land those shots. Wilder has no ring IQ. Wilder has no footwork. He's a 40-year-old shot fighter that's going to be exposed by the second best fighter he's fought. Joe Parker at plus 380 is a gimme Christmas mm-hmm. present. Take it now while it's cheap. This weekend, Lucy Wildheart is fighting what I call, no disrespect, a beautiful model in, uh, in Sky Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Nicholson's had the advantage every time, like from fighting from distance. Now she's fighting a girl bigger than her. And uh, I think she roughs her up. And if she wins, and if um, this girl, Wildheart, wins eight rounds, I think she wins 96, 94 on the cards. Because you know they got two or three rounds already scored for, for Nicholson. Okay? Yeah. So if you're that. looking to bet a fight, a couple upsets. The wild heart fight is, is, is one to really look at hard. That's beautiful odds. I mean, she's like plus 800. Okay. To win by knockout, she's plus 3000. You know, it gets crazy. Wow. Um, but, but, uh, Matush Masternak, Polish fighter against CBS, Chris Bill Smith, who I think beat a guy that was tailor made for him. He's plus 350. 
and he's a better fighter than CBS. Just Mike. It's going to be the holidays, like, give, uh, giveth, I believe. Free Call money. Call me crazy. I, I never like to, yeah, well, it's not free money. Nothing's free money. Don't ever think that because people might put their Thanksgiving money on, on the, the table and lose it all, and we can't have that. But I think there's a lot of value coming up in these fights. I think the Vegas odds makers are a little wrong. Just like they're, they're doing this weekend with the Eagles against Buffalo. All of a sudden, the Eagles are only a minus three favorite over Buffalo. Come on. <laughs> they're, they're, they're trying to catch the square betters to bet uh, the house on Philadelphia. Like, like they're trying to catch the square betters betting the house on Deontay Wilder. Okay. And they're trying to get the square betters to bet the house on Sky Nicholson, if there is such a thing. This is what they do to make money. So I think we have an opportunity to take advantage of, you know, a hundred bucks. That's all it takes. <laughs> you know, everyone could afford that. But Good lastly, stuff. Mike, lastly, Mike, and I wish I could expand further. Believe me, I wish I could. There's a, these fights are beautiful to bet as an underdog. Um, but what you said about Andre Ward, I've always disliked Andre Ward because he's a phony. People, I, ca I cannot stand people who are phonies. I cannot stand people who say one thing and do another. Say what you want about Floyd Mayweather. You know, he's, he's an idiot sometimes, but, you know, he made money, you know, and he, for the sport, he probably did bad for it. But the shtick worked. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Mayweather, you know, he's donating money to Israel. And, you know, the guy, he's not a bad guy. Andre Ward is a bad guy all around. Anyone that's that big of a liar, you know, where with his father and, 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 and just doing that so disingenuous. And the people he hangs around with, and I, I believe Kathy Duva made a request or a, a she, she made a statement about not having to see those people again after the second Kovalev fight because yeah. they were just so rude, so disgusting. They were awful. It just, it just shows awful and, and who he is. And, and, it, and it affects Shakur Stevenson, who came to the ring with Floyd Mayweather and Andre Ward and stunk the place out. And I thought, leading up to the fight, I thought it was going to be a stinker because both styles were counterpunching. And, and I think it did a service to Mayweather and Ward stinking the place out like like he did i think he like honored mayweather and ward mm. the the uh the money mayweather era mm -hmm. version of floyd because the yeah but i thought it was i thought it was ironic and if you want to copy and paste the fight mike take the shaker stevenson fight and then copy and paste onto devin haney versus regis progre haney's gonna run just copy and paste it mike yeah. It's going to be a decision for Haney because the judges already have four rounds for Haney already yeah, written in. That. So, so he's, so Pruger has got to win eight, nine, 10 rounds. It's not going to happen. So he's not going to be able to chase him down and knock him out. Haney's the bigger guy, believe it or not. He's two inches taller and he's about 30 pounds heavier. It's unbelievable how this guy, and I've heard so many people say he's a fake lightweight. These are boxing trainers, fake lightweight. This guy had to have special weigh-ins accommodate him because he's 170 pounds in the ring as a lightweight he'll be about 185 at 140 that's unbelievable you have to ask with snack what does victor conte have up his sleeve i thought honestly you have to ask that oh and speaking of uh drug testing mike december 23rd show big baby miller has anyone tested this guy no oh, yeah tested. i forgot i forgot he's on that show too the baseline yeah He's on the show. The baseline is well past. He could have done 
You know, every, this guy was a human Petri dish. I never seen so many PEDs in one guy. He's already done the cycle. You're not going to catch him. He could have done it six months ago leading up to this. So I think that's a fight that Dubois might actually lose. He Hmm. might gas out at the end and give up. Because if he's on this, if he's on the gear like I think he is, he could last till the eighth, ninth round and just just wear him out. So people, if you're betting that fight, just be cognizant of this fight might have a little herky jerky stuff to it, hmm. and that's the beauty of it. If you you have some, you know, wherewithal to, to figure out, well, you're not going to be able to drug test in a month to get a proper baseline. Eh, there could be some serious uh, implications here and. The thing with Charlo, to, to cut you off here, Mike, Charlo weighing in at 166 and a half is an outrage. That guy Benavides walks around maybe after Thanksgiving at 166. I think that's the biggest he can get. Charlo will be probably a cruiserweight coming into that ring. And he'll be bloated and he's not going to look good. And when, you, when you're an alcoholic or when you drink alcohol, it's a, a vaso stimulator. When you saw Oscar De La Hoya get busted up by Manny Pacquiao later in his career, that's because of the drinking and, and your skin not being used to taking punches anymore. And I think that's what's going to happen to Charlo. He's going to get swelled up, but he'll get a gift decision. Just being the bigger guy, he'll, t- he'll absorb everything and he'll win, a, he'll win a decision. I don't see him stopping him, but it's a disgrace how the WBC still has him as a champion. If I were a lawyer... I would have a class action lawsuit against the WBC and all of its ranked fighters saying this is illegitimate, that you should sue for back wages. Every penny that you spent on sanctioning fees should be now sued for in retrospect. So with that, Mike, I'd like to get your opinion. Which fight you think is going to lose on that three, three, <laughs> those three legs that are last, the last three legs of my parlay there. Because Mike, it's, yeah, it's three grand off a hundred dollar bet. <laughs> I'm, um, that's pretty, that's but, uh, pretty awesome. But yeah, I mean, I got, I got to go, Thad. I got to wrap it up, man. Sure. But I, I think Ergashev's going to be the tires. I do. Oh boy, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm really getting scared of that. But yeah, just blame it on me if you get in trouble. Okay. All right, we'll do. All right, All thanks, Thad. Right. All right, thanks, man. All right. Okay, bye. All right, guys, that's it. Uh, I don't know when we'll be able to do it again, but I promise we will soon. And. um We'll be back on regular schedule at some point. I just have to get some freaking sleep. And once that happens, we're good. All right, guys. I appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll do it again soon. Peace.